Showtime live. And by we, I mean me. Just there's one here. I'm all alone. Oh, wait a minute. That's how this whole thing started. If anybody remembers the OG original, it started by myself. Uh oh, I think I suckered somebody in. Ah. Here. <laughs> so I was alone, and then Alan made the mistake of messaging me this morning, and now I've roped <laughs> it in, so I'm not alone. But, I uh, uh, I kind of owed you, so. Well, it's all good. The original Carpets and Coffee was literally me live streaming on the other side of the room by myself for like an hour anyway. So it would have been just a little bit of a, a nostalgic flashback to the original. Ah, but you don't have this awesome mug. No, no, but I have this awesome mug. Whoa. That's out by my little girl. So. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, in true carpets and coffee fashion, we got to have coffee rolling. I made a French press and you did the, the fancy thing with uh, the Keurig. <laughs> but uh, I thought it would be worth pointing out that I just pulled this splinter out of my finger, out of my cuticle, by the way. Ah. It had been there for the last two days. Did you know it was there, or did you just look mm -hmm. around and see it? No, I just haven't been able to get it out. Okay. That's what I get for digging around in lizard dirt and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the coffee helps helps me wake up, get through that. I was just sitting here playing with it, like, half awake. And uh, I'm I'm on my, my Timor coffee again, doing the, the good stuff. I don't know what, what your Keurig cup, because I know a lot of companies put their whole blends in the Keurig cups. Do you have a, a go-to or... This is uh this is your store brand um nothing fancy Kona blend. So okay. it ain't great. It's nothing to brag home about, but um it, it'll get me through the morning. Yeah. Hey, that's all that counts. If the caffeine's there, you know, you can fight through the rest. Yep. Now <laughs> I, I did because of you guys, I did go and order some of that Timor coffee. That Dude, it's really there. good. Um yeah. I don't know if you're uh, if you're a black coffee drinker or if you like to add stuff into it, um, but I highly recommend finding the perfect ratio and just trying it straight as is because it's really yeah. good. Yeah, I like man. I would say I gravitate a lot towards Pete's. With, yeah, know, the store that's a big yeah, Pete's is fantastic, man. Uh, you know, uh, we were talking about this, I think, last week, but as far as like a bigger chain goes, even though I think it's pretty West Coast, Pete's is really good. Yeah, I grew yeah, up I, with my dad always being like, Nope, we're going to Pete's. I'm like, All right, we're going there. I don't have one close by that I can walk into anymore. Um, no. when I lived up the hill a little ways, you know, there was one in town that I could uh frequent. And that was the go-to place, but yeah, here I have to have to buy the stuff and you know put a little more effort into it. Do it yeah. Myself, so. Yeah. But yeah, that big bang, and then there's the uh, uh, what is it? I want to say it's uh, it's another medium roast. I, okay. I think that's what I like the most is the medium roast. Medium roast is a nice in between, especially if you get your system dialed in where you're uh, 
whatever machine you're using or method, if you get like the right ratio of water to grounds and you dial it in, you can really get the perfect extraction of flavor. Let it brew as long as you want. You can make it light. You can make it jet fuel, whatever you want. But if you get it just right, man, there's something something special about that. Uh-huh. Oh, you know, it's funny. I'm looking at your shirt right now. That's actually what I had on this morning. I'm glad you changed it. (laughs) I had to tell my coworker, I was like, hey, if my buddy Alan comes by, he's going to be picking up X, Y, and Z. And she's like, I was like, he's about my height, uh, dark hair, darker complexion. She's like, see the guy that came into the shop wearing the same shirt as you that one day? I was like, yeah, that was him. She's like, okay, I know. (laughs) Wonder twins. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, that's fortunate. Um, but so aside from our coffee fix, um, this, the other fixes is carpets. And I know, you know, people who are just hearing your name and voice are probably branding you as a a monitor guy. Most people don't know, uh, about your, your, your other reptile afflictions with Morelia and snakes and other things. And and if they haven't heard it, they can go listen to which, which uh, podcast and episode was the one where you talked about how you got all your Bradley. Was that uh, an episode of NPR? No, I want to say that was um, Corrales radio with that's Jeff right. And Terry. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. definitely go give that a listen because it's a crazy story um i don't want to make you recant it all right now um but it's a wild story i think it's like one for the record books like legitimately it's it's pretty nuts so um but yeah so for anybody who thinks alan's just a weedy whack monitor guy who doesn't know his stuff about morelia you're wrong Um, well i'm learning morelia still the monitors (laughs) run the show so i kind of you know i try to do snakes (laughs) around them so yeah yeah um no and and it looks like smitty's in the house and he couldn't have labeled you any better um right but i wouldn't have it any other way because most people know me as a bad influence on their wallets and reptile collections as well so it only seems to go hand in hand um you know we both enable each other mm-hmm. uh, giving each other cages hey i got this cage here hey i got this cage here hey go fill it go fill it go fill it yeah. here you want some snakes hey yeah so we're I'm sure everybody has that one friend, but it seems like we've doubled up today. Um, (laughs) But before the chat gets going too far, I had sort of prefaced this episode being a freestyle free for all. Um, It it always is, but this one more so than ever, more of a, a guest and chat driven sort of, of show. And, you know, we can fill in any negative airspace or holes while we're waiting for people to throw questions out there with whatever we want. But, um, Chris, who's one of our, our regular, um, audience members, he's a, he's a patron. He's a longtime, uh, Morelian nut. Now he's, he's been indoctrinated. I'd say it's quite official. Um, he had a great question here and, and I love this question because I have a couple animals like this and it is a little frustrating to deal with. He asked, how do you go about handling a super defensive sub-adult? It goes completely spastic, throwing its body around when you touch them. It won't write a hook. Any tips? I try to limit the stress. So the first thing that that makes me think of is uh, this super zebra that I have. And I'm curious if he's talking about a super zebra because I know he has one. I do have a super zebra who's really twitchy and uh, 
well, they both are, but like they'll cruise and they touch your arm and they freak out and they kind of just do that ah, and it like sets them off and they just do this whole thing. And then all of a sudden they're just flailing. And it sounds like he, his animal gets to the point where it'll even like sit and fling pee in there. And I've dealt with animals oh, like that man. too. Um, and so, you know, I hats off to you for definitely maintaining, trying to limit the stress because it is important, but unfortunately there's not, not always anything you can do about that. Um, you know, the more experience that animal has, obviously the less stress it's, uh, it's eventually going to experience, but what you need to figure out is where that line is right now that it sets it off and just work up to that line and then pull back work up to that line and pull back as far as like brief interactions. It's an ivory jungle male. Okay. So, um, yeah, what I would do is just try opening the enclosure, being present, seeing if it doesn't stress out, close it, do it again. Maybe put your hand in, get it up to the point where it almost stresses out and then just keep trying to push that sort of boundary further and further with little baby steps think of it as socialization training. It's like a conditioned, uh, you're conditioning against a fear response essentially. So you're trying to find out where that line is, where your presence then pushes it into an adverse reaction. Um, this is something that I, I really spend a lot of time with, with lizards, um, especially iguanas that can be a little neurotic. I found this to be a really healthy approach. Um, find out where that line is, where they, are no longer comfortable the first sign of stress whether that's just they're not tongue flicking anymore or they're puffing up or whatever it is you know and just get work with that and keep pushing that boundary not every animal is going to going to play that game so you might have to you know use a hook and pet it and touch it or take it out of that zone and just spend a lot of time with it um i think if you're if you're consistent patient and and just try to never push it to that stressed out threshold over time you'll get there i think alan you and kai had a really good discussion about that in your yeah. q a episode three i believe or yeah episode three so the part one of the q a when you had the gentleman from north carolina come in and ask about the taming and i i thought that was such a great segment and you guys fleshed it out really well and although monitors and, and snakes are very different, I think you can apply some of the same approaches with difficult monitors to difficult yeah. snakes to just really pay attention to all of that. So I don't know what your thoughts are as you're taking a drink and like, trying to dose up. But I've been talking. He's like, oh, here's my chance. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Now I have to remember what I said. Make sure it's consistent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, with man, with. With my animals, especially the adult snakes, I'm, I've just been really lucky, really blessed because I don't I don't really have any uh, problems. with them. The only animals actually in my collection as far as snakes that I have problems with are the, the Antaresia just because they want to eat everything. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, it's funny enough, those uh, those zebras and the, the two other jungles, everything else I have, they're wonderful snakes. I open those. And it's usually I'm catching a strike just right out of the, you know, right like out of the start, Like a startle thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just on from there. So, um, but yeah, the, you know, I just think it's, it's a lot of respect for the animal and just giving it its space. I do that with the, the snakes too. Uh, if I have to get in there and handle them, I, 
I don't just jump right in and just grab them hands on. Of course, mm-hmm. I give them, you know, a little bit of a buildup, let them see what's going on. Um, and then I kind of ignore them once I get them. They're, they're still in my hands, but I kind of just, I, I don't yeah. know how to put it exactly, but ignore them. I don't yeah. sit there and pay attention to them. Uh, specifically, I do what I have to do and then put the animal back. And mm-hmm. what I found is over time doing these things, um, I, I really don't see any signs of defensiveness or aggressiveness, really. Uh, I mean, there there will always be uh, something going on. If you have food in the room, of, of course. course, you got to be aware of that. I've taken a f- that, that I have taken a few of those bites before, and then I have to smack myself upside the head. Like, oh, yeah, that, that was my bad. I'm sorry. Especially with bread lie, you know. It's uh, – <laughs> that's all on me i can't blame them for anything they uh yeah they're gonna eat when there's food around they're gonna eat so yeah they don't play games when when it comes to food man my my two my first two were very quick to point that out to me um yeah yeah, you know it's it's interesting you say that i do that with my uh um my mac lots Mm -hmm. they're psychotic they're nuts. They're striking at the tub when the hand comes by. When I'm changing yeah. waters, they're striking my hand. But like I've gotten it to a point where I I can see when they're thinking, and I can pick them up without either eliciting a strike or a bad strike. Um, and I and then once they're out, I like you said, I ignore them. I do the cleaning, do whatever I do, and they get a little bit more experience of well, I was just handled and um nothing bad happened and now I'm back in my familiar spot and it happens enough times. Um, you know, most animals come around and learn that not all of them. I think there's always exceptions to the, to that rule. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's funny. I've, I've tamed down a Woma Python from a a typical bitey, sneaky, not trustworthy animal over a few years to become the best education animal in the zoo years ago at uh, Santa Barbara zoo. Um, I've made sure my, my male Apodora stays mellow by kind of doing some of these, uh, mental exercises and approaches when I'm working with them. I, you know, I never come from above. I never just pick them up. I actually do a lot of flat hand under the chin monitor style approach with him and it's worked wonders. It's amazing how you can really get them thinking um, I'm sure certain species and certain animals won't like, I've got some carpets and if I put my hand under them, they food wrap me, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, or white lips. I yeah. White lips. <laughs> There's a reason I don't have those. There's a yep. reason they're a species I don't crave. I enjoy <laughs> looking at them in other people's collections. I do think the iridescence is beautiful. I think their body construction and proportions and the white lips and the head structure and the role they serve in their ecosystem is just perfection. Like fascinating. Nature. Yeah. yeah a wonderful, wonderful species, right? Like there's so much about that animal. We clearly don't know. It's, it's beyond amazing, but I don't need them <laughs> here. <laughs> yep. yep. That's it. That's where, mm-hmm. that's where I'm at. So I did, a, I did that little babysitting uh, of those yeah. four white lips and um, that yeah. cured me. That cured yeah. me. Go ahead. That's I think cool. Owen wants some more. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I want to have them. <laughs> so another question in here is uh how long do you guys wait in between feeding males and females? Um lately this has been something that uh we've talked about a little bit uh more frequently than than normal, and that was as a result of uh the episode that 
Dr. Loafman did um, with uh, Eric and Owen, and they talked a lot about snake digestion, and, and they really unpacked that a lot, and they could have even spent another two plus hours on it to go further. So if you haven't heard that episode, definitely go check that out. It wasn't too long ago, um, maybe a few weeks ago, but uh, he really... Yeah, it was fantastic. So much information. And he really unpacked what happens biologically for snakes when they are feeding, swallowing the food, digesting it, and and what goes on. So for me, um, it really solidified my approach to feeding and how it's changed over the years. When I was first getting into snakes, I sort of subscribed to the offer every week almost for most animals and just, you know, whatever. And that's, you know, so not how it goes around here anymore there are some snakes that do eat weekly animals with very fast metabolism i.e kribos the mad hogs corn snakes things like that uh colubrids essentially yeah um but because pythons and boas their processes take a lot longer as far as the 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 taking of the food the rebuilding the organs the the digestion the resting period that needs to come after I don't even feed babies more than every other week. Um, Mm -hmm. Babies get fed once every two weeks at the most frequent. Now it's a good size meal. Like I don't feed, for example, baby carpet pythons. They don't get anything smaller than like a fuzzy mouse unless they're like a super tiny runt. I try to start them on fuzzy or bigger because I want roughage. I want a good meal. And if they're going to expend all that energy digesting and eating, I want the caloric intake to be you know, a positive outcome. I don't want them to deplete more than they're taking in. So pinkies and things aren't really valuable to me. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I like to give them plenty of rest time, especially once you get into things that are heavy calories like rats. So as soon as snakes are hitting like wean rats, small rats, it's like no more than two, sometimes three weeks. Uh, and I kind of keep it at that rate, even into like large rats for adults. Sometimes I'll only get them once every four weeks. It, it really does depend, but you know, the every week thing, um, I will only do that for females prepping for breeding season. Yeah. That's the only time I feed animals weekly other than colubrids is I'm trying to slam and pack food onto those females. Uh, kind of the same. <clears throat> now, I have to be careful sometimes because I get in this mentality where you want to you want to treat almost the whole collection the same, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I have stuff that comes from uh asian mountains rainforest basically that's uh super cool uh, as far as temperatures and uh then i i have the gopher snakes the pythons if i try to keep with the python schedule with the gopher snakes i'm gonna end up with little shriveled twigs as i've noticed uh i had that real quick learning experience what is happening to you guys you know it was just mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just me being a blockhead, you know, open your eyes and, and figure it out. You know, you get two different types of uh, animals here. So, yeah, they get fed um, more frequently than any of the pythons do. But definitely my my poor males, I think yeah. they're about two meals above neglect at all times. So <laughs> that's about where. Yeah, they're but hungry, them. hungry males eat every time and hungry males breed really well. Right. Right. And, you know, I do that, not the snakes, but the, the monitors, I try to do that, too. But uh, I think yeah. it works for males across the board to some degree, because, I mean, you can see those fat 
snakes that just sit there and uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're lazy. They're not going to get up to do anything. There's no reason to. Sure. Uh, well, and you see it all the time where somebody gets like a miss sex pet carpet or something like that. And it's like eight yeah. feet long. You're like, this is my female, whatever. And it turns out it's a male that, you know, you just fed to high hell. Yeah. Um, that happens all the time. I mean, you see the guys in Australia pulling coastals from some of those regions where they're nine feet, no problem. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if there's no need for them to be that large, there's no, like, advantage to predation or desiccation or whatever dominance in your territory, and it's just, you know, living in your your enclosure in your room, like, why right. do it? You know, most of my males will never see anything bigger than, like, a medium rat once in a while. Right. And that's, like, a big meal for them, so... And, you know, when you start keeping lots of animals, too, you got to think about these things to that degree. You don't need those. If the males can operate and do what you want them to do, living a good life mm-hmm. on uh, something a little smaller, a little less frequently than the females, then there's no point in jacking them up, getting them on to basically, you know, guinea pigs or something crazy. Right. Uh, um, that's just going to hurt you in the, the pocketbook. Well, and they'll live longer, theoretically. You yeah. know, you're not going to be burning their their engine out so fast so to speak you know yep so yeah, i think uh nick said it a few times he's like there's a reason big things don't live as long as some of these small things mm-hmm. uh, i think specifically talking about dogs you know I, we have a chihuahua i think he's 13 years old and still running around looking good i don't think yeah. i've ever had you know like retrievers or labs mm-hmm. in the past that live really past 10 years so yeah yeah um, there's some some truth to that yeah there's definitely biological advantage to being smaller and compact um or at least longevity wise there are pros to that Mm -hmm. so and then ish asks when feeding varied diets how often are you feeding rats as opposed to chicks and quails um Depends on the time of year, depends on the animal and the age and the status they're at. If it's an animal that like could be leaned out because it's been eating a bunch of rats, then I'll, you know, I have no problem throwing chicks into the mix and quail into the mix a little more frequently, especially with my Kribos. I mm. really try to keep the Kribos off of a strictly rodent diet. I try to give them as much variety as possible, but I don't want, um, you know, them to just be only eating birds because it you know, there's advantages to eating some rodents, different protein, different roughage, but birds are great too. Um, fortunately I have access to, to all of the above. So I just kind of, <laughs> I just kind of institute the variation randomly. I don't really think about it that much. You know, if I get a little, uh, inspiration and I'm like, you know what, you've been eating a lot of rats, you know, this year, I'm, you know, I'll go out of my way and do something a little bit different, but otherwise I try not to overthink it that much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see a problem with it. I know a lot of people would be concerned about their animals getting hooked on one type of food or another, but I, I don't really experience that. So, yeah. Yeah, get a bread light. You won't have those issues. Anymore. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you, some of these animals, man, like they'd eat their own shed skin if that's what they had. You yeah. know what I mean? So. Um, well, I think you showed those blackheads. I, you, you feel yeah, those- yeah quite a few uh, different items don't you yeah so uh i'll pull that up here the uh the blackheads at the shop uh, given their size they're capable of eating you know damn near anything right um but uh 
one of them will actually well so we get a lot of uh drumsticks and chicken wings and and stuff at the shop so we can feed the monitors and you know blackheads being uh rather generalist feeders happy to eat other reptiles all sorts of stuff like that um you know my boss Australian has, indigo snakes <laughs> yeah exactly so my boss has experimented with um you know different feeders and you know it's all just to 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 see what happens but it also institutes a little bit of food variety and different proteins and oils and things so you know, birds have different fat and, and protein contents as do rodents and things. So this photo is a, an adult female blackhead chowing on a raw chicken drumstick as you would you and I would go get at the grocery store to to barbecue up some wings, you know, some mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And it's obviously not the the main um component of her diet like you know there's a lot missing from just doing something like that there's no roughage there's no organ meat there's no skin really i mean there's some skin but like you don't get all of the 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 contents that come with whole prey so um you can't just only do that because i would imagine that would leave some kind of runny stool and probably not the healthiest animal it's a good shot of calcium in that bone in there mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and as long as they can digest it, you know, you've got nothing to worry about. As long as you've got an adequate hotspot, you're golden. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, everything in moderation, but yeah. I kind of like the, the thought, something I've been running around in my head a little bit is uh, it's easier with monitors because I can, I can see it over a week time, you know, but mm -hmm. instead of focusing on what they eat that day, that day making sure they have the complete diet you know that day what about over a week um, yeah making sure that i'm hitting these things over a week so stretched out a bit with the, the pythons can you hit kind of the same thing over a month maybe maybe even longer two months by providing sure. those varied items are you still getting the uh the, the levels of uh, nutrients that you need mm -hmm. and then in the case of those those chicken wings um mm -hmm. was that one of the girls that just laid she did not lay, but she laid the year prior. She will be hopefully breeding this coming season. So she's definitely going to be getting a lot of good food over yeah. the next uh, next six months. To me, it just seems like an awesome uh, way to get that, that calcium in there to break down. So. It's important for, for animals. You know, egg, egg laying takes a lot of calcium out of animals. So you got to think that that's a good way to put that back on there. There's a lot of dense, different calcium in there. You know, if she's eating large rats, she's getting some some skeletal system in there. But a large rat, you know, still doesn't have the skeletal system. Super huge, dense, you know, chunks of meat would otherwise like. Right. So we'll institute a lot of variety. And I don't know. I, I don't think we ever really get like guinea pigs or pigs or anything, even though we have access to them. But like that would be another thing we could do. Guinea pigs are another way to put a lot yeah. of fat um and weight on there they have some dense skeletal structure too but yeah so we we institute a lot of variety and you know seems to keep the animals healthy now it seems to be a very well i, I don't say it's like a frequently discussed topic but it's not unheard of to discuss supplementation in lizards and monitors i mean everybody knows about you know paying attention to calcium and d3 and stuff like that 
but it's not really something that's widely talked about or even accepted in snakes. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I told you, I bought some of the um, the uh, the Da Vinci, yeah, the Da yeah. Vinci boa supplement. I haven't I haven't given it to any animals yet, and it's not like I would um, you know see instant results. It'd be one of those things where you just see a a difference in health and vitality over time, a difference in females bouncing back after breeding or winter, things mm-hmm. like that. And that's kind of the whole point is because I am breeding these animals and it does put their bodies through some stress. I'm hoping this is like a little added tool in my toolbox to not only help, you know, the animals produce good, healthy offspring, but keep the breeders alive well longer than, you know, maybe they would be if they didn't have it. And obviously with something like that, that's a long-term study to even quantify if it has any difference or beneficial effects, but I got to think it's got to help, you know, like it can't hurt unless you overdo it, but I feel like it's got to help. Wonder what is a, what is a really short lived uh, reptile species? Can you think of one off the top of your head? I mean, tricolor hognose only live about seven, eight years. Some chameleons only live Mm -hmm. about five to seven years. So that's a pretty short lived animal. uh, Thinking it might be interesting for anybody out there that wants to give it a shot, you know, uh, yeah, an animal, you know, see if you can stretch out their life and something a little less time consuming, but even well, then, it's know, still a long study. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be terribly long if you're doing it with something with tricolor hognose, because if in theory, if your females only live seven, eight years, you give them the supplement each season they're reproducing, you get an animal past 10. Uh, I mean, maybe that's some good indication, but. You know, this is a species that multiple clutches in a season. It's kind of small. It takes a lot out of them. So, like, maybe they would live longer if you just didn't breed them every season. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they're one of those snakes that, like, once they go, it's just like you've opened the floodgates. Yeah, Yeah, you know. And some snakes, it's better to to breed them and just keep that process going. Like, I've seen... I've seen berms breed once or retics breed once, and then, you know, the owner doesn't want to breed them again, and they keep cycling, and then they can have issues with egg binding as a result of their biology just going regardless of what you know the person wants to do so something to think about i always i always think about that you know and i had two animals um that i had to euthanize this season as a result of health issues from breeding and i always wonder you know is that stuff avoidable with exploration of supplements of of other dietary changes things like that yeah. Um, I don't know. Long-term study, you know, that's like a lifetime thing to observe, you know? It sure is. Yeah. And maybe, maybe with, you know, the internet where it is with these platforms, um, newer people coming into the hobby that will hopefully do this over the course of their life. Maybe that information will be more readily available mm-hmm. just by, you know, someone's quick, uh, Instagram post, and you can kind of track, uh, how that animal's doing. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Just an idea, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how things go over time and what the hobby kind of does as, as a standard and a norm and explores. And it'll be interesting to see. Um, we have another question kind of more specifically directed for you here, but it is Bradley uh, related. What are your thoughts on winter night cooling Tristis along with Bradley? You know, I wonder if this is the same person. I've heard this uh, same question about the same species. Uh, 
It's actually something I kind of want to try with the Are monitor. Tristis from the same area? Are they from Yeah, Tristis like the set, the red range. center. Okay. Yeah, they're they're there. Um they they have just an insane amount of range. I th- okay. think it might be one of the largest of the uh the Australian monitors. But um but then again, you know, just a side note real quick on that. I wonder also what people are calling Tristus that might not be Tristus, and that's why <laughs> they cover such a large range. Yeah. You know, like over here, we have uh, up and down the state of California, we have a blue belly lizard, but pretty much anything you flip over has a blue belly. We call it blue belly lizard. Even right, right. It's and it's like it's across different. several species. Right, right. Yeah. So I wonder about that. But that being said, yes, I do think um, I was just talking with Kai about this also uh about wintering some of these australian species you know letting them cool down and i'm gonna give it a go with um with some of the uh, snakes the bread lie is that not something that's regularly done with some of the australian dwarf monitors i don't know a lot of people that do it uh, i've had a quick conversation with um with brandon over at rare earth about doing it i know he's definitely cooled his animals uh, to what degree, I can't remember, but I think it gives them a pretty decent cooling off season. Uh, I know in the past that uh, Frank would, his outdoor animals, he would let them stay outdoors sometimes. Now, they mm-hmm. had, I believe they had access to go in and out, but sometimes mm-hmm. they chose to stay out. Um, but, of course, you know, you also have to do it within reason. You got to bring them up at a certain time. Uh, they're environment over there uh might be different than just our winter here as far as the length of time mm-hmm. the amount of cold changes so i you know do it safely um of course i'm not going to try to do anything outside mm-hmm. uh, but yeah i'm going to section off part of where i'm keeping the try animals and cool yeah and cool everything together and kind of take them down real gradually bring um, down to the 50s like bradley yep yep yeah. stop the food and i'm gonna go with that you know and i'm Ooh, I hate to say it, but um, part of the reason I've held quite a few animals back is honestly to test out some of the stuff. I don't know if, yeah, it, I hope I don't hurt them, I, you know, but I, only I one way know. to find out. So I'm going to go ahead and go for it this, uh, yeah. this coming season. Yeah, only one way to find out. <laughs> and if you're having trouble with your bread lie, you know, Bradley, I'm supposed to, I've been saying bread lie. Everybody says it what differently, it dude. It we're all <laughs> we're all retraining our brains. <laughs> Forgive me, any of those people that want to, you know, uh, uh, say it's Bradley. I'm I'm kind of last minute, you know, jumping on here, so I, I wasn't ready. I didn't go over to the show notes here. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you know, if you need to get them cooler, I'll definitely have a cool section over there. Yeah. I don't want you. Were you doing it in your shower or? Uh-huh. or Am I telling the inside baseball? Maybe I shouldn't. No, that's exactly what I did. I was putting them in tubs and take them into the bathroom and putting them in the, the tub, hoping the cool bathtub and the open window and everything at night would, nothing would stay warm in there. And so I was able to get them into the low 60s, but that's it. Okay. Not yeah, I think enough. I can get down to about 50. So it's open if you want to, if you want to use it and you, and you yeah. want to use your shower without. You know, yeah. Well, the thing is, Rachel's got some valuable plants in there that oh. if, uh, if I kill with cold temps, I'll be in serious trouble. So Ooh. yeah, I might take it. <laughs> if they, if they don't breed 
and uh and i you know basically assume it's it's temperature related i will be taking you up on that <laughs> um johnny barrett asks what do you where do you like to put your snakes when you are cleaning enclosures is it differences in your preference between babies yearlings and adults i just move them into other tubs if i've got open stuff mm-hmm. in a rack or if it's a a chill animal i'll just hold it if i can clean with one hand if it's not too cumbersome uh, but shift tubs empty tubs uh an empty trash can with a lid that's what we do with venomous and in zoos and whatnot it's kind of an old habit um really convenient so empty bins anywhere are, are useful yeah. i just went ahead and, and for the racks you know I, I have a few of those vision racks um mm-hmm. i went ahead and just bought other tubs honestly yeah uh, just so i can prep those take take the, the ones i'm using out clean them um, disinfect them and then they're ready to go for the next time I need to pop something in there. And then right. for some of the bigger stuff where I can't do that, I have those, um, those bins with the, the latches, you know, a few mm-hmm. air holes mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I can just quickly throw something in there. Um, I, I cohab the, some of the, the bread line and some of the How other dare you. too. You're a monster. <laughs> well, it got, there was a few little interesting moments I thought I had under control when you look back and you got a, a knot of snakes looks like Medusa's head, you know, but um, yeah, for that, that reason, <laughs> for that reason, yeah, I, I pop them into a bin and close the top real quick. And uh, Yeah, it's the easiest way to do it. Um, Alex Oliver asks, what's your thoughts on night temp drops? Well, Alex, I will tell you, I am a, a big fan of night temp drops. Everything that I keep gets a night temp drop. Uh, even if it's only a couple degrees, I try to even cycle babies. Um, hot spots go down a few degrees at night. So I think I let my baby's hot spot go down to 81 at night. So it'll drop from 89 to 81. Uh, everything experiences a little bit of a cycle. To me, it's only natural. Uh, I know there are equatorial places like, you know, the Amazon or parts of, you know, uh, the island chains on Indo where they don't get too much day and night drop and it kind of stays 82, 84 year round, but microclimates got to remember that. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I like to, I like to give everything a little bit of a night drop, um, just seems normal. And, and to me, it seems like just another way to keep your animals healthy so they can, you know, cope with temperature swings and have good immune system responses. And it just seems natural running them at high temps all the time with, without any variation just doesn't seem like good for them to me. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I, I don't necessarily have my unit set for a night drop. It's just where they're at. I know that the the warehouse is basically going to cool off five to sometimes twenty degrees, you know, depending on the time of year, um, just at night. So mm-hmm. that pretty much takes care of it. It's still that that probe is still going to try to keep that hot spot where I have it set, um, wherever the heating element is. But the the front of the cage is or the front of the tub is you know five to ten degrees cooler. So it does still provide a drop. But, um, yeah, I don't have them set for any specific drop right now. That's snake specifically. Gotcha. Yeah, I think even ambient swings like that are important. I think they pick up on that. Even if you leave your hot spot consistent, they get an ambient fluctuation. And I think that's, I think that's natural. I think even in 
you know, crazy hot parts of the summer where there's always like a rock that's just been cooked for so long. It's 90, but like the natural fluctuation at night, I mm-hmm. think even if you do that, that's good too. Um, yeah. It's just some food for thought for anybody thinking about night drops and if it's a new concept to you and if you're worried about your animals, um, if you think animals are sensitive, think about eggs. Eggs are even more sensitive. When I was doing my first round of maternal incubation, those eggs I monitored closely and they experienced a, a nearly 12 degree temperature range fluctuation in mom's coils. And they all were strong, solid, awesome. You know what I mean? So to me, that says there's something we're missing. We're maybe babying our animals a little too much or exposing them to extremes too long because we misunderstand their environment. Um, I think night drops and temperature swings are important for just about everything within reason, you know, um, yeah. even seasonally, like there are probably some animals that only experience night drops for a couple months out of the year. And then it's just back up to plateau warm temps year round, depending on what we're talking about. So, yeah, I, you know, I do think they have a lot more to choose from out in the wild. Um, so we're talking about the way we keep them in captivity, of course, we can only offer them so much uh, to a certain degree um, because will our snakes, you know, use 85 degrees to digest a meal? Yeah. We'll see them up there. Mm -hmm, Of course. mm -hmm. Um, But on the flip side, I've seen snakes out basking in the middle of the day. Uh, Let's say our our local King snakes, um, for example, but I've also found them in getting up into summer um, out at 62 degrees, uh-huh. you know, out hunting at night. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, they use all this temps at different times or, um, during the, the, the same time of the season where they could reach those high temps, you know, they're still using the cool temps at night and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so. um, speaking of night drops and stuff, Savannah monitors, you, did you and Kai already do that interview with uh, the woman over in? Um, yeah, we did. Uh, was it Sweden? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So if it's posted yet, but it's a, it's awesome. So it's not up yet. But is that a question that you guys get into in that episode? And should we direct people to the episode on estivation? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you want to give them a little teaser? Just a little nugget. Do you well, think estivation for Savannah monitors is necessary? I, I, I want to say it, it, it's a definite benefit from what it, now I'll be honest. I run a lot of my Australian stuff, uh, 24 seven lights. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works fine for me. And now in come the summer, you know, I will play with that or I'll reduce that a lot just because I got to then focus. And on you're talking sand things. monitors and right. Right. So I got it. Yeah, so I got to keep the temps down. But now talking about the Indonesian stuff that I have, I treat differently. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. The Savannah monitors I'm going to treat differently. Now, in her case, to give a little preview, um, she does use a nighttime drop or turning those those uh, heating elements, the, the light emitting elements off because she has an apartment with a greenhouse inside of the apartment mm. and another enclosure which houses all of her animals. So she's literally stacked on top of these wow so in order to get sleep you know she has yeah, to things gotta go off right she didn't right. give them a choice but it seems you know listen to the uh listen to the the episode but yeah there's some good information so yes okay. she does 
in one way or another, she does use that. So Xavier Exotics, you will be really excited to hear the the next Monitor Keeping podcast. Or it's a couple more. It's a few more episodes down the line that'll be coming out on Savannah Monitors. I personally let my Savannah Monitors light shut off at night, and he fluctuates with the the room temps ambient wise. I don't think he necessarily estivates because he's still active a bit, but he doesn't like he's not in a shutdown brumation like my tortoises or anything. Um, but then again, I haven't tried to breed him. So if we're talking necessary for longevity, you know, giving everything a break a little bit probably helps them longevity wise, but is it natural? I don't know. I don't know if where they're from, um, they would experience much of a winter per se. They would certainly experience fluctuation in dry and wet season, um, spend some time underground as a result, maybe not have as much food as a result. So there'd be some food cycling things but I don't know enough about their region to say whether or not they would get a full on winter. I do know that sulcatas don't brumate at all. And so when I think of things from like hot sub-Saharan Africa, I don't really think of them as a species that necessarily brumates, but then again, there's little, you know, microclimates and regions within that. So I'm probably generalizing too much. So I could be completely wrong. Um, <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, yeah. I, I definitely recommend people listen to that. Um, just because um, our guest, uh, Linnea, she not only is currently being successful with these Savannah monitors, um, but she's also done some field work over there with Daniel Bennett. And uh, so she's gotten to see both sides and and she's planning on going back. So there's some Sweet. really good information. Yeah. And then, of course, what she's realized she can't do in her situation Um just because of where she lives and mm-hmm. having these animals in her apartment, how she compensates the things she's done to address that and how it's obviously working, you know, hmm. um, she's around, she's been posting it, but uh, her first clutch hatched and uh, 44 babies. And then, yeah. So check this out. 44 babies, then a clutch. I want to say of 28 eggs. Now, only one of those looked fertile. She didn't know if that was an issue with the male or whatnot. Mm. Um, but it also looks like her female is going again. So let's just say it's another Partho low clutch. end. Yeah, let's say 20 eggs. or I mean, you're talking about an animal. That just dropped 100 eggs in a year. Right, in a season. And that's just mind-boggling, you know? Interesting. So, that makes sense why there's so many little babies available for import and export so readily every year. Yeah. If they produce that frequently. Dang. That's cool though. I'm, I'm excited to hear that too. And then it made me think about, um, that really nice female you just posted all cleaned up that really tangerine beige, creamy looking thing. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) She's looking big, man. She's looking good. She's taken down full grown uh, mice at this time. So to kind of give a perspective, they are so different from mm-hmm. other monitors. You know, you'll get like the, the blue trees are just, they're a one foot monitor with a three foot tail, basically. <laughs> and it's insane to then, you know, I'm used to the uh, other uh, dwarf monitors and Australian stuff, what we're used to seeing as a monitor. And then you get this little like, compact Tank. yeah <laughs> blunt nose um animal who's who's uh not as long as some of my um my dwarf monitors but can take down a full mouse you know yeah and 
although she's smaller in, in overall length, um, I don't want to take a bite by her already, man. She's, Hell no. That's a powerful dog. <laughs> Dude, they don't let go. They don't yeah. let go. That You think your little peacocks will bulldog you. These things don't let go for <laughs> anything. Yep. I avoid it with every ounce of my being. And my my dude, he gets real excited for food. Oh, so yeah. if you try and do any handling after a feeding session, it's game on all day. <laughs> it's it's sketchy. Yeah, so. I've seen that look in his eyes over there, looking at my uh, looking at my kneecaps, like, Ooh, yeah, I, I yeah. Get out. ready because when your girl's ready for for a date, he's coming your way. All right, all right, she's That's getting the there. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure she'll be there, and you know, within a year. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I was really excited about that episode too. I was taking notes, and mm-hmm. I'm going to revisit mm-hmm. it just for that same info, probably. Yeah, between Kai and uh, Linnea, just going over. Okay, what do you? What am I doing now? What am I doing now? Because it's not something we're seeing a lot of. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty sporadic, I guess. In the, the larger reptile world of cap uh, world of captive red savannah monitors. right but in that case i you know um african species i think as a whole outside of you know your your well-known african <laughs> python um not much is bred yeah yeah, yeah. There, and there's a lot of stuff over there mm-hmm. yeah not a lot of it's been yeah bred. i've been playing with some uh some little baby blackthroats we've got in at the shop and they're cool man they're like they're like savannah monitors on steroids. Yeah, I don't need to come <laughs> over there. I was already yeah. looking at the what it was the the mangrove monitor you had in there. Oh, yeah. then you had that that quince monitor too. Yeah, that quince is a sweetheart too. Yeah, yeah, Man, yeah. The mangrove went to a new home, so you're safe there. I'll do like uh, I'll do like the the um, curbside pickup for feeders, so I won't right. actually come into the store. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I'm not allowing myself in there. <laughs> Brett wants to know, do you set up nest boxes for all of your Odotria? He's using one for his Kims, but never did for Ackies. He's thinking about going to deep substrate for the Kims instead so she can pick. Hmm. Um, currently, let me think. I, I have whole cage nesting in a few um, setups. Um, but I do use a lot of nest boxes uh, for my my main producers, I guess, that I can count on, um, which would be the Tristis and the Ackies. It's nest boxes. And uh, I don't have any any issue that I can tell with using those. Um, my Kimberly female, she nested in a nest box um, and the the peacock monitors when I did get a clutch from them. Um, they did nest in a nest box as well. So <coughs> that's more for me. Um, yeah, so you're not digging around the entire closure yeah, aimlessly. Yeah, I don't have the best back in the world. And, you know, yeah, me you're, too. You're dig- <laughs> when you're digging up uh, a thousand pounds of dirt uh, sometimes, you know, you got to be careful. So I've, I've had to pick and choose who gets some things and, and who doesn't. But I, I really haven't had... Um, issues using either one mm-hmm. um and i'll mess around with it some more in the future to kind of see okay what do i just personally like better mm-hmm. but um i'm i'm pretty uh, there's no hesitation using nest boxes for me right now i'll say that yeah. uh, when i start seeing something that might be different 
then I might switch things up and it might be a preference thing for an individual, but as the, as for the species as a whole, for what I keep right now, I have no problem um, with the dwarf monitors using. Yeah. 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 We don't do any, any nest boxes with uh, the lizards at the shop, but that's because we kind of maintain the substrate in there for like for, for Rudy, you know, that Mm -hmm. substrate is all peat sand and, and cocoa and it's, you know, constantly humid and perfect. So we just pay attention and she's big enough where it's easy to tell. But to me, they're like very similar to tortoises in that if they don't have a spot, they feel comfortable or is adequate in temperature and humidity and whatnot to lay, they either will hold them to their own physical detriment or just drop them and scatter them everywhere. I know tortoises, yeah. I've I've experienced that several times where if you don't have soft diggable substrate somewhere that they can explore and do test holes and kind of figure out where they want, they'll hold onto those eggs to the point where they will like petrify or migrate into their salomic cavity or whatever. And right. Then you're, you know, taking a grinding tool and cutting open a tortoise's mm-hmm. plaster on and plexiglassing it back and yeah no thank you (laughs) no it's it's brutal so you know that's that's actually a real real um important thing that you bring up is uh also for my nest boxes i try to hit a gradient um which will be you know 88 on one side so i position it kind of near a a light bulb or humidor Mm -hmm. it's it's a light bulb in monitor cages and then across the gradient um you'll get cooler temps and then they can choose where they want to. And then we're also talking a box inside of a box for what I do. I usually, even if it's on top of, on top of stuff like those cocoa chips, um, the big blocks, I'll set the nest box on top of a layer of those so that there's actually air circulating, circulating under the nest box itself. So it, it helps keep a certain temperature within there. Um, other things I've done is place a piece of tile on top of a nest box, um, that will heat up itself Mm. from the light bulb and therefore radiate some heat down into the nest box as more evenly spread type of, uh, I don't know, radiant heat emitter, I guess. So very cool. Uh, do you use a, a particular substrate mix or you kind of just wing it each time? I've been messing around with some things. I've had no problem using the Eco Earth Sand Play Sand Mix. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now I've messed around since out here. We can go to one of these uh, landfill or not landfill um, landscape. Uh, yeah, the big bulk suppliers. Yeah, and get some stuff. And I've kind of gone through, you know, each bin like a weirdo, kind of test tasting it a little bit, sniffing this uh, right. stuff. And uh, we have something out here called PG&E sand, which is uh, between between a real fine sand and definitely not like uh, the DG stuff Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, I've used DG before and it's, um, man, it's hard to dig through. It's real dry and dusty and (laughs) tough. Yeah. Yeah. You'll dig up your hands digging through that stuff uh, or tear up your hands. So it's, it's in between those two. So there's still some larger chunks in it. And what I've done is I, I had a, like, I think a yard and a half of that dropped off with a yard of uh, uh, a certain topsoil they had out here was kind of a loamy 
topsoil mm -hmm. and i've used that i've mixed that in um and that's worked fine too um i think i think they might be pretty opportunistic nesters and um i think what you're you're mainly looking for is the temperature and the humidity and mm -hmm. something that will obviously hold a burrow i think right. there's a lot of ways to get there and obviously for all the people that are breeding animals across the U.S., we have different consistencies of this dirt that we can go pick up. Even if mm -hmm. it's at a Home Depot, mm -hmm. it's not all the same. Right. So we're, we're definitely getting there. So, you know, just play around with something that hits those that can hold temperature, that can hold some moisture and hold a burrow. And it's, of course, you know, non-toxic to the animal. Right. Um, and I think you'll do all right. Yeah, like a sandy loam, peat uh coconut yeah all of that stuff will work really well when hydrated properly it holds a nice burrow right. monitors can dig in it they can shut their face down and test the temperatures and see if they like it so that usually ends up working out nicely it's been cool to see different species kind of respond differently at the shop to different opportunities and whatnot mm -hmm. so but um yeah i don't i wonder if snakes like if you gave them a large enclosure and gave them like different nesting opportunities, like a, like style entrance style nesting materials involved hotspot or cool end. Like if you would see any patterns across species, like I, I'm kind of watching a guy um, who has some, I I'm going to mess this all up, so forgive me. But I believe they're eastern hognose snakes, and uh, that's uh, dropping a clutch right now. And it's actually digging out a nest in, uh, in, I believe, the substrate he's using and laying them down there. And from some of the other people that are, are commenting on it, you know, and <laughs> this sounds like such hearsay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I do think they are capable – obviously, they're capable – of doing a lot more than what we give them. I do think that there are animals out there uh, that will dig a nest uh, mm -hmm. that will utilize something that's already there. Yeah. Um, you know, for sure. But even then, do they go in and further excavate their own area within mm -hmm. that nest mm -hmm. or, or make it into something that they want? Um, so I, I do. I think we yeah. just, we, we find something that works and so we stick to it. Right. I, there's no reason to, to look further and i can yeah. understand that you know i think about the video clips that eric showed us of uh woma's excavating in the sand and kind of sticking yeah. their face and then pulling stuff out and how yeah. they have that little uh under like super labial pit that they can check temperatures it makes me think of how monitors can stick their nose into little burrows and check and see if you know things are good for they like their eggs and i bet you womas and blackheads probably do the same thing you know they they dig through that sand and they find the the nice right. wet pockets that are the right temperature and hold shape and stick their face in and feel it out that way before they drop right. their eggs in and cover it up. It's really, well, yeah, you've seen very it similar. You've seen it with the monitors, how they test out areas. Oh yeah. Snakes can, I would assume do the same things. Yeah. They've got the same, you know, heat sensing capabilities in their face, you know, most yeah. pythons and boas. So I don't see why they wouldn't be able to, sort of sniff out or suss out a good spot for them to hunker down or lay or birth or whatever. Right. So, so. I, I really do think that these animals are a lot more opportunistic to some degree than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. um, 
I know a lot of a lot of clutches aren't necessarily found. You don't find uh, too many animals out there wrapped around their their, their sure. clutch. But sure. I think there's a post a little while ago where uh, someone found in Australia three carpet pythons had nested in like a compost pile, like above ground little bin compost pile, and there's three of them in there. Um, I thought that was kind of awesome. You know? That's was, rad. Yeah. So again, I think, okay, they're just utilizing something that maybe because the way it's breaking down has a little added heat, humidity. And so it's not so taxing on the, the adult female. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it works. So I think, yeah, whether it's a termite mound or a, a man-made compost pile. Yeah. Um, I see videos of, of people pulling carpets out of like, um, like, the little crutches of a tree hollow in a bunch of leaves and like a staghorn fern. And she's like just buried in all these leaves and mulches and yeah. mulch and stuff. And it sort of creates this little incubated medium just up in a tree in somebody's backyard sort of deal. Yeah. Um, they are definitely capable of finding unique and creative spots to just dial it in. So, and if you ever do maternal incubation and you give them the options, you can see what they do you know, whether they move the the nest box that you give them or whether they move the water bowl or I don't know, just all this stuff. Like I've, I've got this female that's in front of me um, doing MI and I've seen her move the water bowl closer to the entrance. I've seen her go up and warm herself on a light and then come back and curl the eggs up. But it's just, they definitely are more in tune than we can perceive. And it's pretty freaking cool when you see it. You got to give them the uh, the next test will be the compost pile in the back of the cage there. Right, <laughs> right. Just a big bucket of mulch, a thing of sphagnum moss, and a thing of like damp, yep. loamy sand and see which one they choose. You'll be cruising to the shop and see someone mowing their lawn. Hey, hey, what are you going to do with those clippings? Can I get those clippings? <laughs> Excuse me, sir. <laughs> get out of here, you um, weirdo. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny enough. Um, a lot of us this is just side note, think about lawn clippings, but uh, we like to go and buy isopods for these uh, vivariums and enclosures we have. And we're getting into spring and summer now. If you want to just, and this came from a buddy, I didn't even know this, but if, yeah, if you want to go throw some brush, throw some grass clippings out in the sun, leave them out there for a week and then go dig them up and you'll find all the isopods you want. So. Mm-hmm. Roly poly. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've got all sorts of them in my courtyard out here. I can just grab a bunch. Yeah. Oh, man, I really ought to overhaul my geckos and and make them bioactive so I do less cleaning because I am lazy. Yeah, you know, um, Robert over there, uh, he set up my for the... Right, for your geckos. Gargoyle geckos. And uh, I can honestly say, other than cleaning the glass... Uh, where they might have done something, you know, on the glass. Um, I really haven't had to clean anything. And I've, I've looked in there. I've added a few of the local isopods, but the springtails are still going good. And, um, yeah, I have no complaints. These things are working great. I hate filthy glass. That's my thing. So I got, yeah. like, geckos peeing all over the glass. I'm like, oh, gross. <laughs> gotta, I got to clean that one of these days. Yeah. I have an ever, never-ending to-do list, so that one's not exactly high on high on my list of things to do, but it's, it's there. And I see it every day and I'm like, one day, one day I will do that. <laughs> if only there was like a, a terrarium placostomus of 
not aquatic means to just go around and sucker fish clean my glass for oh, me. Oh man, yeah, can you imagine that? that would <laughs> like be a amazing. land snail that would just like <laughs> just go to town. <laughs> I love that. Oh yeah, that'd be so cool. And then you just feed it to the monitor when you're done. Absolutely, and get all that good nutrients, trace <laughs> <Right>. minerals. And <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh man, uh, I was hoping. Um, I was hoping my zebra would be laying her clutch right now. She's due today and she is, well, actually she was due yesterday and she's, she's looking like she's going to make me wait a few more days. You don't have enough anxiety. So there's a no. little more for you. Just a little uh, more. This cortisol levels up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping I'll get some hog nose eggs in the next couple days too. And, uh, I I don't have any hope for my Bradley. I just Lucas hey, Lucas sent me a shed. It was really stinky, and the male like didn't do anything, and the female still hasn't shed, and she's just sitting on the heat, and they're just not really doing anything. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, the truth is, I don't think any snakes went this year. I know why for for a lot of them. I was still hoping the Bradley would give me something, and they they could, I guess. Yeah. Uh, there could be something later on going on. So I do yeah. have them paired up now, but um, yeah, for me, the, the monitors just, I didn't have everything situated the way I, I needed to, or the way I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So in order to keep the ambience for them, because obviously I can't drop the, the temps that low for the Indo stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all in that same space and I just kind of had to let it go. And they were producing at the time, um, not the Indo stuff, but the Australian stuff over the winter. So, uh, yeah, I had to make a choice. Uh, and especially with regular job and everything, I just didn't have the time to, yeah. to separate things the way I wanted to. Hopefully it changing happens. that over the next week. But yeah, It happens. It happens. But yeah, you- every year as the prospect of something different. What's going on with your your uh, Madagascars? Um, I have a female who has been refusing food for the last two months. Um, they are not shy about breeding in full display uh, in the enclosure. So I've witnessed a lot of copulation. I've cycled them and heated them and everything just like my pythons. And now they're the one female that produced that small clutch for me a couple of years ago. looks like she's bound to do it again. Nice. Um, but I don't know. They're, they're rather cryptic. You know, they don't, their eggs are more oblong. So you don't get the crazy dramatic body posture change. And they're, uh, they're a little more shy. They're very aware if you're watching them. So they don't want you to kind of see them. They like to hide and burrow a lot. So in order to really, you know, investigate further, I got to pull them out and stress them out. And, yeah, you know, lately I've just kind of been like, yeah, these things are, are venomous and they're wild caught. And this female's not very nice. And this female's tolerant. But, like, I don't know. I should probably be more cautious, which means I'm more hands off. And But they copulate out in the open, right? Dude, I've got some of the craziest video footage when I still yeah. had my camera that was in there, which I believe they broke. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I can't even get the thing to turn on. I think they destroyed that thing. Um, but yeah, I've I've seen them breeding for the last year and a half. Like every month or so, there's some like wild like commotion going on and full body breeding. And, you know, it's just nuts. 
But I'm start um, selling uh selling Riley stickers of your face to put on people's uh cages. That's the missing piece to breed in your Madagascar. Just yeah, you just need the creepy. <laughs> They're into that, so <laughs> yeah, it's got it's got to have the reverse adhesive so you can show your snakes. Right. You don't right. get to see the stickers for your snakes. Yep. Yeah, that would that would be gold. I think you're onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> and the Riley pheromone spray. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Owen got some eggs from his. I hope uh yeah. I hope his go the distance. I know he wasn't exactly uh planning on them producing, and so he's gonna let the eggs ride at uh room temp kind of old school colubrid style. Um, because they need to be incubated around 80 or so. So if you only have you know Python settings going in an incubator, you're kind of SOL there. And I've got two incubators going, and neither of them are the right temps. So if I get eggs, I will be doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, Kribo's needed at, like, 75, 76. Python's needed at, like, 87, 88. Mad Hogs need at, like, 80. So it's like, wow, I've, I've really mm. screwed myself. Do you, I got a little, one of those little uh, contraptions, the ZooMed one, if, I mean, oh yeah, show, yeah, if, uh, yeah. Keep that in mind. I've I've actually incubated ball python eggs in those once before. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's I've done gopher snakes and I've done monitors in them, and uh, I haven't had any issue yeah. really. So, but I, I mean, I, I it's, pay it's a rudimentary, basic design. If you know the science behind an incubator, you can make a shoebox work. You know, right, right. So, I would just keep um, a bowl of water in there that I can visually yes. see. And, um, you know, pay attention, of course, to the mm -hmm. ambient of the house. And mm -hmm. Exoterra just came out with a new incubator to sort of compete with that one. And they've taken it a step further where um, it has like different chambers within it. There's uh, other settings on the, mm. the programming. It's a little bit different. We had one of the reps come by and she brought us one and showed it. And we haven't tested it out yet, but... Um, they basically took the the same styrofoam box design with the the clear lid and the heat coil, <laughs> and then uh, just changed some of the the settings, changed the display. Um, I think they did a few other tweaks to it, and the the inside can hold water differently. I don't know. It's the same thing though, but you know they're trying to improve on an existing design and keep something affordable available to the consumer because if you try and buy any sort of commercially made incubators other than like sea serpents hot boxes it's hard to find right now they're really yeah. really sparse so you know that might change with this new product i have no idea how effective it is um i wouldn't i might be, have to come test one out i wouldn't bank any high-end clutches on one until i know right. better but right. um yeah we'll see and yep. then I've got uh, I've got that first clutch of pop wins due to hatch within the next week or so. They're on day fifty today, so awesome. We'll see yeah. that I had to euthanize the female that produced that clutch. So um, I'm sorry about that, man. Dude, it, it was horrific, man. Like she broke her back. She broke yeah. her back pushing out those eggs, plain and simple. Yeah, like. You, her spine was perfect, and then it literally looked like the whole vertebrae just snapped and been like dropped down, broken ribs, and all on her own. Just yeah, she got the eggs. She did that, and it was just ugh, brutal. 
I'm so sorry for that. Yeah. Man. Well, and like, I'm glad you got those little ones coming. You know. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely consolation. Like, I've I've got offspring from her before. This is a repeat pairing, so it's not like it's another. It's not like it's a one off, one and done. Um, but that being said, I was kind of, you know, obviously thinking she'd be around for a lot longer, and I'd be able to keep pushing that project. And now these are the last ten eggs from her. So these are the last of this sort of particular pairing. And uh, although there's like no morphs or anything crazy, they're nice and black. They're, they're yeah. pure, they're farm hatched while, you know, they're basically as pure as the driven snow. So it's a good line. And uh, because the, her first clutch was so male heavy, I sent males to some friends and the hopes were that, you know, I'd repeat the the pairing, get some females, and then that way I could put pairs with a few people that are, you know, going to further that or do something with it down the line. And now I'm like, well, shoot, better get good female ratio. And I, there's a lot of folks who've been, you know, chopping at the bit for some some pop ones. And I'm like, shoot, I don't know what to do. Because <laughs> I didn't get two clutches. I was hoping to get two, and I only got one. And now it's like pretty significant one. It's like, shit. So... Yeah, you gotta make those choices. Yeah, we'll see. I I don't plan on keeping much, but I also want to make sure like the right animals go to the right people. And yeah, you know, I think in the coming years, Papuan carpets are going to be. I think they're going to be sought after more, and then they're going to be cherished a little bit more by the people that have them in order to preserve you know, the integrity of what they are while we still have fresh imports and the ability to, you know, maintain that. Yeah. So I think, I think the, the value to them will be, will evolve a little bit. Um, so yeah, I don't know there. It's an interesting sort of case study to see how the availability affects their desirability and then yeah. therefore the price as well as how other folks, you know, impact that just by speaking about it so right yeah right. oh you know on that that note i had the that pair of the uh the wildcats from dan mm -hmm. adults mm -hmm. and uh i don't know why this is just coming to me now but a quick conversation with nick and <laughs> quick quick conversation yeah um, right <laughs> two hours uh, instead of four yeah you know i remember him saying throw those things together because of whatever cycle they're on they might just surprise you so yeah, that's you know, that is true. They could still be on the, the other hemisphere cycle where their winter is our summer and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. But that yeah, that was just pop when talk that uh, I, I got nothing this year. I'm so yeah. sad. I was hoping, but man, I'm I'm glad you're you're getting a few uh things going over there. Yeah, but you got your hands full of monitors, so they're taking over. They're uh Yeah. <laughs> they are taking over. Uh I'm yeah. Yeah, I think about that sometimes, and I'm, uh, I need to convince <laughs> you to, to come. I, I joke with you for all the people out there listening. I joke with Riley sometimes. Next time he comes over, I'm actually going to shut the door and lock him in. So uh, that happens I'll, to me at work a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a little hole where I can, you know, stuff burritos through or something and uh, beer. But <laughs> and see, now we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> mm, burritos. That uh, sounds good right now. Yeah, you got that. Oh, 
gosh, what is that place around the corner from you? Los Inmortales. That's the one. Yeah, that's I keep the forgetting spot. the name. That's but, the uh, spot, man. I have to like stop myself from going there, otherwise, pretty soon I'll become an Inmortale burrito myself. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so good sometimes, but I always forget where it's at. And then I'm running. You know, we. I well, yeah, it's nowhere near you. Yeah. Well, yeah. even when I get I get to the shop, I'm like, I'm gonna try it today. And before I know it, you know, uh, my wife's calling. Where, where are you? Oh, yeah. I, I yeah, ended a time warp here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Yeah. You want to see the lace monitors? Uh-huh. You yeah, want to see yeah. this? Uh-huh. 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 A touch. A touch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, shoot. Imagine if carpets produce as much as monitors. That would be dangerous. I that that would be scary, to, dude. I did I tell you Rudy pushed out a seventeenth egg after that sixteen? Yeah, real quick you said that. And that's, yeah, next morning there was another one in there. It's like, dude. So we're we're thinking we're done pairing her. I bet you it doesn't matter. I bet you should, she still drops two more clutches right. easily. I've tried that with uh, some of my monitors, and they don't shut off. They just no. they just kept going. So, that's how we got Parth two Partho babies from Rudy last year. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, <clears throat> and that's the thing. Partho clutches are a thing with monitors. Um, so it can be a little scary because you don't want to start doing something different or maybe cooling down when unbeknownst to you, you know, that, that girl's holding on to a clutch there. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. scary. Yeah. And they hide it really well. Yeah. Like they just kind of carry their weight a little bit differently. If you're not looking for it, you don't see it. Oh yeah, my so I just got that clutch of Tristis eggs. And when my my main Aki girl gets gravid or even the sand monitors, it's obvious, you know, you, you know mm-hmm. exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. With this girl, it's like, mm, did you eat, you know, yeah. a couple couple super worms or roaches too many? So I'm I'm getting used to her cycle now. Um, but even then when she lays sometimes, I'm still looking at her because I don't want to mess with her. I don't want to mess up with the nesting process. Right. So, uh, yeah, there's there's part of me that thinks, oh, was she really done? So I'll go back over today and, and dig up again just to make sure. Yeah. Like you said, Rudy dropped that other one for you. But, yeah, they can throw you sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I I was showing her to guests and picking her up and petting her and stuff like two days prior. And then all of a sudden I come in, she's dropping eggs. I'm like, yeah. really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Here we she, go again. Yeah. And for I don't know for the people that don't know this is uh, this is a black dragon that Riley's talking about and um, just about the dream animal that anybody could ever wish for. She is this, just the sweetest girl, yeah. and um, she's not flighty at all. Um, and she's I'm not just head been, shy. She's cool with yeah. everybody. Yeah, she's like okay, some head pets, maybe you know a little chin scratch. Uh, I'm gonna go lay my eggs now. So yeah, uh, yeah, she's. <laughs> Like everybody wants that lizard. She's yeah. the best. She yeah. is the best. Her babies are the best too. So yeah. It's nice because I get that I I scratch that itch because I'm very much, you know, obsessed with Varanids. I just I love their brains. I love learning them. But I I am already obsessed with Morelia and I certainly can't trade one obsession for the next. And I certainly don't have the space to space to feed that obsession. So that's just not happening. Um, So it's kind of nice getting the scratch that itch at work a bit, you know? 
Yeah. But there's always more, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's never everything in your grasp. There's always cool stuff. There's always more out there. Um, Absolutely. You know what? It, the one that, well, you don't help. Uh, to, <laughs> you cannot help. What was it? Monkey and Oles? Like, yeah. What? Monkey and Oles. I yeah. didn't know I needed those. You know? Yeah. So we're keeping that pair now. Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I'm actually really glad you guys are because they are impressive. Yeah. I got yeah, the female are... to tong feet a wax worm for me. And I was like, okay, cool. We got to get you some weight on you. We're going to set up a cool enclosure for you. We're yeah. Dial you in. And they're neat, man. Long tails, grassy arboreal things. They're just cool. I, oh. So yeah, I, I've got, I've got the lizard bug. I always have, <laughs> but uh, I get to scratch that itch at work and, and lucky play with you. my snakes here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get real, real lucky in that way. But uh, it's dangerous, dude. I mean, the temptation is real. It's there all the time. Yeah. All the time. I still have that that temptation for the uh, the Asian rat snakes. And I, I got to mm. keep it in check because I just, mm -hmm. with everything else, it does not make sense. It's like, here's the polar opposite of what I could keep oh, together. Yeah. No, that's that's me right now. I'm sitting on this male Mandarin rat. And I'm like, what no, the hell do I do with this? But where what what do I do with it? What I I can't keep that in here. You, you got a bedroom. I'm, you can put a little shoebox and slide it under the bed. <laughs> God, Rachel would that, kill me. That's how I. In fact, you know, I'm joking around. There's actually people that can see it. There's one. That, other way. <laughs> I, I'm Aww, backwards on the camera. This way. It's, down there, basically, yeah, it's, a, it's an Asian <laughs> rat snake that's pretty much under the bed, and um, that's how I kept uh, the mandarins when I had them in a, in the bottom of a closet, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and bottom of the closet because I had monitors back then, and it was too hot everywhere else. So. Right. Well, and if I manage to get into a house this year, there will be the main snake room, which will accommodate pythons and boas and stuff, and all that good jazz, and then. You know, I promised Rachel she could have a craft room for all her plants and crafting and stuff. And I figure, figure that'll be the cool room. I'll just, mm. you know, slowly insert one or two in there. Let yeah. her like put plants in there and be like, look, you can dress this up, you know? Oh, yeah. Start selling that as the whole room can be a vivarium. Well, right. <laughs> I want it to be green and lush and I want it to be cool and temperate. And so then when she's like, oh, this is fantastic, like, you know what look good right there? Uh huh. Yep. A couple of diamond pythons and a nice planted vivarium that you can design. Absolutely. So start her off slow. If you get any kind of pests or anything, you know, start with a few geckos, stick them to the walls. <laughs> yeah. And then grow from there. Once they, they start overtaking, you know, we need to introduce a natural predator. <laughs> yeah. Release some token. Dude, that reminds me. My African bullfrog has become a bit of a guard frog lately. He's, oh, yeah? he's kind of scary. He's, yeah. he's gnarly. So um, the last two days, the, the old man in me has really come out. I don't know what happened, but um, I was cleaning snakes in, on Saturday and somehow I either dislocated or threw out my hip or something like that. My hip is not in the, the spot it should be. My leg feels longer than it, it normally is. I don't walk right right now and therefore I can't sleep very well. So the last two nights I've just been not sleeping and in the middle of the night, I just hear bah, bah, bah. 
and I've got to think my neighbors are waking up and hearing this and going, what the hell? You know? And at the same time, I think about the guy that tried to uh, steal my bike from right outside my front door at four in the morning. Oh, yeah? It, yeah, yeah. And uh, Oh, that's right. I remember you saying yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. If somebody's like out there ruffling around our like little front area trying to steal some shit, and that bullfrog starts going, <laughs> you best believe I'd be running if I was that guy. Absolutely. You don't know what the hell that is. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds like a, a sound coming out of the bowels of hell. Like, right. <laughs> like middle of the night it's so gnarly and uh yeah so i i, I was like listening to that at like four in the morning i was like wow that's really cool i, I uh i've got a guard frog <laughs> i don't know if i could do that you know that's uh uh little noises at night they, they throw me off so yeah, yeah i can see why you're developing the grumpy old man type of uh, mentality yeah. you got the whole walk going and everything <laughs> yeah i've got a, i've got a gimp i've got the the grouchy i haven't slept in two days sort of vibe going on um yeah i just i just need my bullfrog on a leash if he could walk that cool just, just stay in the back of the shop work with the animals and so, yeah. <laughs> i try to don't let Riley around the children for a while until he, he gets a hip thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I tried to stay back there for my sanity and reset. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I I would love to eventually get into a house this year so that I can spread things out and do things a little more proper. I have a few more climate zones for some of these animals. And uh, I hate to say it, but I think uh, unless for whatever reason, some crazy stroke of like, cool project or luck or massive house or something happens. Like, I don't know if I'll, I'll keep any more monitors personally. Um, after my Savannah, unless like, unless I find it in me to want to do like some smaller dwarf ones or something like that, or just something fun. Like, I don't know. I just, the, the more I see and learn about all these other lizards and work with them at work, the more I realize I enjoy working them there because I don't have the time to do it here at home. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I've geared myself at home towards low maintenance snakes. And, and as much as I love the monitor lizards, it, it's having both of them together. I have to sort of operate under two different sort of modes, I guess. And it, right. it just, one or the other sort of gets put in second place as a result. Yep. And, and right now it's, it's the monitors and, you know, my Savannah's eight years old. He's already outlived what most people do get Savannah's up to, and he's nowhere near as big and fat as they are. So it is what it is. Like, I'm not complaining. He's done great, but um, it's tough, man. Like, I, I would really love to be able to just do it full time. Then I can scratch that itch. But for now, it's just I my hat's off to the folks like you or Mike Stefani or anybody who does monitors full time like that it's a lot of work it is and you know i later in life um there's definitely a few projects the, the with the indo stuff that i want to see get to a certain point i want those indo dwarfs to really stick in yeah. uh our our hobby uh once they're out there to that level um i might cut back mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. a bit and just and and the sand monitors too Sure, uh, sure. I want to see those out there a lot more, especially now that people are keeping the larger lizards and know, uh -huh. they know how to do it. Uh -huh. They're uh -huh. they're awesome. Great. I team. think sand monitors are kind of the perfect monitor for people, to be completely honest, as far as the size, the build, 
Uh, they're not a high humid species. I think right. they kind of offer everything to get people into monitors successfully. I could be wrong about that. I don't know how sensitive no. they are, but they seem seem fantastic. They're pretty tanky, you know. They're like a just... small Argus with yeah. um, with less attitude, maybe. Yeah, they can still give you that huff and puff, but mm -hmm. in my experience, um, you know, I I haven't taken any any bites from any of them. Uh, nothing even close to it. Uh, maybe a like a, a quick tail whip, mm -hmm. like get mm -hmm. away from me, and then it's you got them in your hands, and they're like, oh man, yeah, you know, <laughs> oh no. Uh, and then a few other ones are just you know almost almost like Rudy. They're just uh, totally the chill. Yeah, yeah. And those, those are some of the older ones. Um, but yeah, they're a great size. So once once those things are kind of and there's other people working on the same stuff. Um, so even if I don't get to it first, it's just I, I don't want them to disappear. Right. And um, once they get there, I, I have this this dream in the back of my head where I can go in every other day, maybe 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 even you know, every third day and just take care of the snakes. And yeah. Everything's low key. Yeah. Everybody's got like a clipboard of what you're going to eat today. And you know, when you, when Chill. you poop. Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> and instead of dialed in. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I, I joke that there's, uh, I need to come out with a drug that it's called Novaranis. <laughs> Talk to your doctor about Novaranis. And, uh, you know, there I am skipping in the field, having myself a good time. Life is happy again. <laughs> Would you, if you produced a bunch of sand monitors and like Anthony Sainz was consistently producing sand monitors and, you know, a few other people had a couple of their own lines going and it looked like there was an established like body of sand monitors in the hobby. Would you throw in the towel on them and, you know, feel fulfilled and move on? Or would you just keep some for nostalgia's sake? For me, they're they're one of my absolute favorites. So I would actually keep some, and they're just an animal. I've all, like you said, they're perfect size. I love the look out of them. Some get these like insane kind of like neon yellow and green colors when you rinse them off. Um, and they got great attitudes. They're just kind of that that essence of a monitor for me. So yeah, for me, they're not going anywhere. Um, some of the smaller ones might too. I, there will always be like a remnant, just not in the numbers that I have now, but it would, yeah. you know, anything that's been with me for a while, it would be hard to get rid of. Um, yeah, I don't blame you. So especially because yeah. lizards kind of, they're a little more expressive. And if you, you kind of get into them, it's really hard to get out of them. They, right. Yeah. When you build those bonds with them, you know, and, a little more like a dog, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now I have two tegus. Anybody out there? <laughs> I've been trying to get rid of for about two years now. <laughs> uh, if if they were male black and white Argentine in there, we would help you out. Uh, yeah, I know. Maybe I should have. Oh yeah, these yeah black and white. Yeah. What are they? They blues. They're uh, yeah, they're like eighty seven percent blues. Uh, you know the rest in black mm -hmm. and white or whatever. Yeah. Um, and honestly, they're great too. They're yeah. they're fun they're animals. Fun. I have been enjoying working with our tegus at the shop. They've just been coming out of brumation and shedding and eating a ton. And this one red female like walks around pacing me like a shark with blood in the water <laughs> trying to kill me. And it's, it's so much fun. They're wonderful lizards. Yeah. Um, 
Albi, the albino blue is really derpy though. There's something wrong with that. that oh yeah. Gene and them there. <laughs> they just yeah. Oh, the food fell over. Oh, gee, yeah. where'd my food go? It's like ooh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, tegus are fun. Big lizards are fun. I enjoy them, and I think that's a spe- that's a group of animals that, much like I say with with rare species or obscure species of snake, there needs to be a species champion for each one of these these animals out there. Um, mm-hmm. Because they're just they're just wonderful. I think you know keeping them around and having somebody s- devoted to making sure that that species is around in the hobby is crucial. Um, so I I always you know I it's like an internal struggle. I always have people probably heard me beat this topic like a dead horse. You know how yeah. do you you know how do you keep what you want and do it ethically and responsibly and then make a good contribution to the hobby. You know, like for me with Madagascar giant hog nose, that's a species that I feel like just me promoting it has brought a lot of attention to it. A lot of people have been bringing them in. People have been trying to breed them. People are learning about them. Owen got into them. Owen's breeding them now. Um, You know, I'm not the first to do it. There have been a couple people that did it before me, but it, you know, talk to people and, they didn't know about them before they, some people right. think I was the first one to breed them and it couldn't be further from the truth. But the fact that people are hearing about it and excited about them and trying to get imports and trying to figure this out was the whole point of me keeping them and trying to breed them and promote them was because it's a species that is in the hobby, but pretty much only as imports. And I don't yeah. think they're that hard to breed. And I think if people like Western hognose and they want something bigger this is a great alternative and if they're not hard to breed why aren't why why aren't they here and i just right. don't think enough people knew about them i think the the mainstream animals in the hobby really shot outshone everything and now we're getting to a point where people are starting to explore these tertiary sort of fringe species yeah and it's a perfect time to champion something like that so if i have you know another clutch i have no problem selling babies to put those out there and even considering like folding up the project for me personally, if there's enough out there and I see other people into it, I have no problem backing out of the project and letting the hobby run with it, you know, knowing that I at least lit the match or something to help get it going because I inevitably have limited space. So, you know, that's something that when I got into Mad Hogs, I was like, I'm going to get into these, try and see if I can figure this out, put some out there, see if we can't get some more attention to them, pull some pressure off imports, because whether or not they're telling you it's being done ethically and within quotas from Madagascar, you really don't know. Um, and ultimately it would be great if we could just produce these animals and leave what's in the wild there. So right. I don't yeah. think they're a hard species to produce. I just think people need to get animals, give them the time to get acclimated and settled, which can take a couple of years and then just devote the time and patience to it because yeah. you just put them together. They breed. It's, I, I showed you that Owen's now showing people that they seem to do better cohab. So, you know, just stuff like that. I always think about when people are working with obscure species, I'm like, are you, well, I want to know what your end game is. Like I, cause I think it's a, I don't know. I think it's a really cool thing and, and worthwhile part of somebody's legacy to leave behind the fact that they helped, you know, yeah. solidify a species in, 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 uh, in the hobby and maybe done a little bit to help their wild counterparts, even if it doesn't seem 
Absolutely. And me, me personally, you know, if you do end up getting out of those hogs at some point, I hope you pick up another species. It could be something random, but pick up another well, species. So here's, so that's exactly what I've already done. Uh huh. Apodora. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Apodora. And I'm mm -hmm. not quiet about it and I'm not shy about it, but the thing is I can do this slowly and do that at the same time because Apodora are slow growers because the, the female that Eric will be sending me has been sort of hit and miss with food for the first you know year or so. So she's not huge. So I can keep with that slow growth program. And, and as that grows, that gives me more time to sort of hit a few of my objectives with some other animals and then move on from those to make room for this to grow. Part of that is timing um, and tying in with getting a house. So I can devote proper yeah. cage space to the Apodora and, you know, maybe even in time, uh, thinning out how many rainbow boas I have on hand, thinning out, um, you know, how many carpets I even have. Like, yeah. you know, eventually stuff's got to, it's either got to produce or it's got to get gone uh, right. because I'm, you know, I'm not rolling in space and money. So there, there's those hard decisions that will have to be made at some point. But, you know, you get there when you get there. And, and I think... Uh, yeah, Mad Hogs are fun right now, and I hope I can make a contribution with them. And then once I'm done with that, you know, I think the et cetera obscure species that I really want to put my effort into is Apodora. Yeah. Just like I, I have dreams about it. It wakes me up at night, and I go into the snake room. And I'm like, did I sell all that? And I <laughs> flip on the lights. I'm like, okay, it's all here. And like, you know, I have dreams yeah. of literally having a wall of just Apodora. And then on the other side, it's all just poplin carpets. And I'm like, but wait, I wasn't done with my jungles. And, uh, and I like wake up in a, in a frantic, like, man, that sounds stressful. Dude, it is. Yeah. 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 So I think, I think that's kind of my, my career pinnacle species calling is to spend my life trying to figure out Apodora in one way or another. I like that. Um, do anything I can to support you, Team Riley. <laughs> I love those animals. I think they're gorgeous. You know, they're seeing horse cool. in person. They're um, cool, the man. only other ones I saw in person was at a show. Mm -hmm. um, I think Dan had them. It had mm -hmm. to be Dan. Um, and then, of course, your guy. And your guy is awesome. He just He's great shape. I know I saw him, I think, pretty short after uh, when you got him. Mm -hmm. And to see kind of how he's developed, too. I mean the scales on that head and that bluish tone with a green tone with, you know, there, I could see myself down the road, um, getting into that, but you know, I, I can't work with everything, but they're so yeah. cool. Yeah. That's, um, that's the hard part. You can't work with everything. <laughs> yeah. 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 I wish you the best with that, man. So. That's another one of those species that is, you know, people may have heard about, not everybody's heard about people that have been around long enough have definitely heard about, but you know, you talk to some of the the folks who have been breeding snakes for you know decades before us. You talk to Nipper; he's got a, a, a at least a pair of of them that he's kept for years. You talk to um, Wooter Cook, Cook Cook. I apologize for uh, mispronouncing that. I believe he's over in um, Germany. Um, there, there are several people that that have these species and i think europeans are probably a little more familiar with them than americans but some folks regard them as like top three hardest to breed species of python right up mm -hmm. there with like tannin bars and you know whatever else so yeah 
you know, there's there's the allure of cracking that code, but you know, I'll never forget the first time interacting with one of those and it is like it's like being stabbed with a heroin needle and full plunger and like no going back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh man. Fourteen foot female draped on my shoulder, just like poof. Turn and look me square in the eye, eyes rotating in the socket deep in shit. And I'm like, this is either gonna be awesome or terrible. And it was it was a profound moment, and I'll never forget that. You know, hats off to Todd Dyer for for introducing me to the species, showing me his work, explaining the hurdles he's experienced and and is working on overcoming. And I, I wish him a ton of success. He's got some adults yeah. that are fabulous. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, well, you know, we, you talk about this stuff. I I'm fall for this all the time. I hear you guys talking about something, and I'm like, oh, what is that? Yeah. And uh, so now people out there, you know, they're going to be checking it out. And but they are. They're they're gorgeous snakes. But please understand, they get very large, mm-hmm. very powerful snakes, and uh, don't take them away from Riley. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because like we always joke and you'll hear Owen joke about it, how like he can't find white lips because he's oh. talked about it too much on NPR. And now people are hitting me up. Like, can you stop talking about Apador? I can't freaking find them anymore. Yeah. Everybody wants them now. And I, I think it's great. Um, you know, they're all imports though. And yeah, they, they are a big, really, really powerful, strong animal that is not to be underestimated in the same realm as an adult big female mainland retic you need to treat this animal with respect it is pound for pound stronger than pretty much any other snake you might encounter with the exception of maybe like a large anaconda or a huge afrock or something like that they're yeah they're serious this little dude he's four feet long he's maybe a year and a half old and if he bends my thumb the wrong way he could turn it purple oh goodness so and he doesn't do it out of maliciousness obviously he's just that damn strong so right they are an animal that needs to be respected seriously it's not just the latest fad it's not the you know i would really hate to see it go the way of the bolens python where everyone and their mom wants them just because it's the trendy thing and then everybody gets them and then you have all these animals that aren't being devoted towards breeding them or figuring them out or their, right. their clocks being reset because they're being shipped to so-and-so every year. They go somewhere new and, you know, it's just, it's not good for the animals, not good for the species, not good for the hobby. So I don't want that to happen, but I would love to see more folks working with them to establish them in captivity <coughs> so that there, if there are people who can do it responsibly, um, they should have the option to, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I just, that's a good, good thing to point out is, um, the cost of things. I, I really hope they don't go that way because you know uh-huh. you see a lot of people they'll unfortunately spread a uh, snake across um, three credit cards and you know, mm-hmm. PayPal credit and uh, they got these high hopes of just barely hanging on to get this project going and then when they can't then this turns into that that animal that just changes hands and it's not for everybody. I don't mean to discount you know real people that are trying to work with these things and have had. Sure things come up but uh um, sure life happens um, there's right. no yeah there's no 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 need to be ashamed if you you go in there doing it the right way and then stuff falls apart that's just how it goes sometimes right and then also you know the big animals require bigger enclosures and 
big food sometimes and uh and big poop um, yeah yeah and because it's a newer species and figuring it out it also means adjustments mm -hmm. and with that you might have to overhaul and do something completely different you might have to add in some type of um humidifier to the room or some type of other heating or cooling system just to experiment in different areas to to get these animals going and it's it doesn't it's not cheap you know yeah uh, so yeah. Uh, and and to me you know when a species hasn't been established in the hobby like concretely yeah i think it's kind of irresponsible for people to get into them just to have one not that yeah. I, not that it, not that people don't have the right to just have one as a pet, but like when there's a species that hasn't been established in the hobby, there are people really working hard at it. There's limited access to them, even as imports, and they're expensive. Forget the 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 rarity and the danger side and whatever, you know. Just ethically, like the more people, the more animals that aren't being utilized for trying to figure out the species the more imports have to come out of the wild to satisfy the hobby's demand mm -hmm. and i think the sooner we can take pressure off the wild the more responsible we can be as a hobby as keepers i think that should always be the goal yes there are species that you can take out of the wild in, in numbers where it doesn't cause any detrimental effects because the population is so healthy i get that i understand how conservation works so if anybody is listening to this is going but we need new bloodlines and da, da 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 da. I get it. I I firmly believe that new blood being injected in is an important way to sustain a, a captive population. So, right. Know, everybody pump the brakes. Um, but yeah, I th I think you know th this came up in in topic a while back, and there were a lot of people that um, quite frankly uh, were outraged at me and were like, "You're an elitist. You're an asshole. Like you're telling people they shouldn't get." bolins or whatever it is because they haven't been figured out uh who are you to say i can't you know go keep whatever and it, and it basically comes down to just because you can doesn't mean you should yeah um you know i could go get a croc monitor doesn't mean i should right um i right. could go you know liquidate everything put myself in debt and go let go get a pair of bolins but i, I shouldn't right um, yeah and you know honestly that that was me 18 years ago, I was keeping a lot of these same monitor species, but um, I shouldn't have been. I was scrambling every month just to keep things alive. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, my head, my initially getting into everything, uh, I had good intentions. I had pure fascination for the animals. But then, uh, you know, I got that bug where I would call it kind of that ball python bug or the ego, you know. Um, it's almost like I, a Noah's Ark syndrome. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to. And then but then before I knew it, I couldn't keep up with what I had. I was being irresponsible. I was making irresponsible decisions with the animals that I did have. And, you know, I step away for uh, almost 15 years. And now I can do things a little bit different. And um actually do things a lot more responsibly um so i can understand what you're saying i shouldn't have kept half the stuff i had back then um i can do yeah. a little better with it now because yeah. well i had that experience for one sure um, um bob evans brings up a good 
good point. He kind of made like a little rhetorical question down here in the comments. Should I give back my US Arc Bolins tickets? And then in the next comment, nah. And I and I think that's a great point to bring up. I don't mean to say that like um people don't have the right to keep things like that. Everybody can certainly go head over heels, get something crazy, damn near fall flat on their face, but pick themselves up and learn. There's no reason why people right. can't, you know, get into a an, what we consider an advanced or a an elite species and do great right off the bat. I, I don't want to, I don't want people to think that like, you know, you shouldn't get a Boland's Python just because you haven't done X, Y, and Z prior. Like there could be somebody out there that spent the last 15 years studying everything about Papua New Guinea knows everything about the climate, the region, the weather, the fauna, and could be the perfect person to start off with a Boland's Python. You know, who am I to say, I'm just saying, there's a lot of a lot of things that you can do wrong. There's always support. He brings up, you know, he brings up good uh, point. There's people who would be e- eager to help. So there's a lot of that in the community these days. So you know, just rounding out my last point, I, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want people to think that like um, that there's like steps you have to take before you can work with certain species. I don't. Right. I don't, I don't subscribe to that because I definitely didn't follow that route. Um, you know, I got rainbow boas and crebos before I, you know, learned, <laughs> learned a lot of the basics. So, right. um, but that and, being said, it's a good way to, to really fuck up. Uh, it's a really good way to like screw something up, fall on your face, ruin yeah. some animals, but it can be done. Yeah. So. I think, I think there's a, uh, there's there's an argument also to be made that um, just because it's the maybe even your first animal um, doesn't mean you can't bring something to the table that's not there. Just because sure. you are an individual, you think differently about something. Mm-hmm. You might try something that for whatever reason we're not trying either. So that, that's totally possible. But um, yeah, there's I think I think the type of person you're also describing has a certain mentality about them to a certain degree and mm-hmm. i don't know if it's ego or whatnot but yeah mm-hmm. it, it it's hard to separate that these days i mean that's just sort yeah. of a natural human behavior especially with social media and everything it's it is what oh, it yeah. is you know it's part of being part of being human so yeah. you know that's why i i would never say like definitively people shouldn't or should you know one way or the other there's always a gray area there's always there's always exceptions to the rule and Bob brings up a great point. There's always surprising folks in the community that will guide people to success no matter, Absolutely. no matter what, you know? So, yeah, you know, if, if that's something you're really passionate about, freaking ignore me and go do it, man, go, go succeed or, or go learn through failures until you succeed. Like prove me right. wrong. Like, please do. Cause that's the only way we progress. Right. Like Owen got that clutch of mad hog eggs. And I was like, did you cohab them or did you do like, you know, intermittent um, introductions for breeding? Because I wouldn't care either way. I'd be just as happy to be proven wrong that you can, you know, just do intermittent intros and they'll breed because that just means more information, more success potential for the hobby. But, you know, he cohabbed them and that's what I consider the best way to do it. And it was just a little more data to, to follow that. But, you know, just, I have no problem being wrong. I have no problem eating, eating my words, you know, prove it. 
put me yeah. down. Show it. Absolutely. Let's do it. Get it done. You know, yeah. show us what's up. Be the yeah. be the pioneer or bring in another level of knowledge to a certain species. Yeah. Um, and then show all the different things that work and why it, through through the years we can figure out more in detail mm-hmm. why this works, why this person right. does it this way and it works. Yeah, it's, it's all great knowledge. But you know, if you win those, uh, if you win those animals, please go support US Ark. Um, but yeah. you know, if, if you find yourself in that situation, <laughs> Alan has I mean, space. If you yeah, need to send yeah. the Boland's python can, somewhere, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just so you figure things out. You know, he's just, got <laughs> the warehouse space. He's a great guy. He's happy to take them off your hand. Prepaid shipping labels. <laughs> um, yeah. No, throwing that for, out there yeah this in my heart <laughs> whoever whoever wins that uh is really gonna have some serious community support the folks that are donating it said that right um they're not just gonna leave somebody high and dry there there's definitely gonna be a lot of involvement in making sure those animals are well cared for because there's some ethical yeah. questions about you know giving away animals or donating or raffling animals there's there's ethical debates that could be you know had till you're blue in the face about that so um, US Arc being the seasoned um, lobbying group and the folks involved being very well experienced have thought about that and are making sure all concessions and details are, you know, taken into account. So, yeah, um, I think there's also an option to cash out. To yeah, somebody. yeah, you can yeah. you can not take the Bolins, and I think you can take the cash equivalent. I think either way, if you win, there are tax implications that you will have to pay at the end of tax filing season come next year, but. Yeah. Um, just be mindful, but yeah. So I don't know. Um, I think Eric and Owen have been saying it for years and every year they do a, the breeding round table podcasting where they, they, they go over carpet Python breeding every year. And the reason why they do it is because every year there's new people, every year there's mm-hmm. new information and every year there's new stuff that we've sort of figured out for ourselves or, yeah. you know, so you know, new people come into the hobby, um, haven't maybe experienced the same questions or didn't experience the the old forums and MP and didn't get to see how these debates were hashed out. And so there's a lot of questions coming back around these days. It's 2021 yeah. and people still are talking about um, the JAG gene and still thinking that it's only neuro when you breed jag to jag and you can outcross it or like there's still these really really basic like we've understood this information for 15 years type of questions happening um right. it just you know new people coming in and that's that's the revisiting of information and the recirculation of it and and it's healthy so yeah but, um, I, I love listening to all those episodes yeah I'm, when i got into this again i went through all of them and i did it in a compact period because there was already you know i -hmm. think seven or eight years of Mm -hmm. information Mm -hmm. out and so um getting to listen to it like that uh it was just a wealth of knowledge and to see people before me revisit things talk about an idea one year and then the same idea next year did it work did it not what did Mm -hmm. they notice Mm -hmm. i mean it's incredible information that's in there yeah um I hope we can do that for multiple species, like the the hogs that you're working with, mm-hmm. um, or tortoises. Um, different, take your pick. You know, we all there's there's animals out there for everybody, and we all yeah. want this knowledge. And so many things too can cross over. Um, yeah, you know, and you you talk about um, 
revisiting things and it and you know, thinking kind of with that that monitor brain but um I, i'm sure everybody has their bolin's idea you know the one that's gonna work mm-hmm. <laughs> but um you know thinking it, with what some of these people are doing um with well kai with the the mongrel monitors and the different ideas things he's said that work for him things he's trying you know uh these other animals are experiencing the same climate. The they're utilizing the same areas, so to speak. Not necessarily bolins and mongrels, you know what I mean, but um, across the board with different species from the same areas. Mm-hmm. You know that that episode with the the savanna monitors goes into some of that, and it's it's fascinating. You know? Yeah, yeah. You and, can look at look at a map of the globe and look at stuff on the same lines of the equator, and you'll realize there's a lot of similarities in climates from something that lives at this latitude in Africa that lives at this latitude over in Southeast Asia or whatever it is. Right. And we get in these modes of thinking about, um, you know, the once a week feeding with snakes mm-hmm. or the everyday feeding with monitors or every mm-hmm. other day. And it's, you know, some of these ideas that have come along that you guys talk a lot about diamond pythons and all the work that went into diamond pythons and honestly having to kill a lot of animals. Yeah. But to get to the point where it's like, we got to cool them down, you know? Um, and then also adding in uh, food cycles because these animals, uh, things are coming in at different seasons. So there might be a season in their life where they're not eating for months at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, snakes, lizards, whatever, they're just not eating. And for us in captivity, you know, we, that, that doesn't compute sometimes. It's right. It's hard. It's feed. different. It's very foreign to us. Right. I'm a bad keeper if I don't feed my animal. And, uh, right. you know, you got to use these things together and, and seasons, food, all this, what, what can it unlock? So, um, yeah, just getting back to what you're saying about, you know, revisiting, having those wealth and uh, wealth and knowledge and coming back every year to that round table. Mm-hmm. I think those things are absolutely, you know, gold mines of information. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the, the, Constant reevaluation of what you know is the only way you'll continue to learn. Right. Yep. Yep. So I agree. Ooh, almost knocked over my French press. <laughs> almost broke a third one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suggest the next one. You get, hopefully, this one will last for you. But they make them in stainless steel. You know. I like glass. A... I like my glass. I'm glassy <laughs> like that. Glassy acrylic. Acrylic. We, we'll no, I hate it. acrylic. Don't even get me started. <laughs> Don't even get me started. That's a trigger word right there. All right. So I'm going to say thank you for joining me today. I didn't think we would get anywhere near two hours. That's kind of like our unspoken like Mark. It just sort of happened that way. I was thinking, I will just answer some questions, probably do an hour or whatever, but we're staring down the barrel of two. So um, I think we'll, we'll round it out here. And, uh, in in the spirit of you know supporting the community before we get into all of our signing off stuff definitely uh go check out usarc.org become a member if you are not uh it can be as simple as a one-time donation you can also do the five dollars a month um and it's an auto withdrawal you can even do more than that um and then there's also usarc florida uh usarcfl.org it's a, a separate um, branch within USARC because it, uh, because you, uh, Florida itself has such a unique 
climate as far as the reptile keeping legal world goes. They have their own separate sort of stronghold within it that is also worth donating to. And if you're unsure about it, uh, you can Google it and find it, no problem. But they also have a really awesome giveaway that should be wrapping up soon um, where you could potentially win uh, a pair of uh, Bolin's pythons and some decked out focus cube habitats. I don't know if that's still open for submissions. It could be. Uh, but know. if you want to find out, go go check it out on usarc.org and usarcfl.org. Um, yeah, they, they, uh, they're they the only lobbying group out there that's trying to keep our rights in place as they are and keep us able to keep reptiles. So the least we can do is uh, show some love and support right back. So definitely go check that out. Um, I'm going to say for me, you can find me at Riley's Reptiles or Riley Jimison on YouTube. Uh, NPR Network has a ton of shows that are ongoing podcasts that you can get on Apple, Spotify, all your favorite podcast platforms, anything from the OG NPR to the newly launched uh, Monitor Keeping Podcast and anything in between, Field Herping Podcast, Carpets and Coffee is what we're on right now, Call Your Brig Corner, Humans of Herpeticulture, uh, carpet cliff notes, herp history. There's just no end to it and more coming. So, uh, and then if you would like to get some swag, you can go to the, uh, pay, or the uh, Teespring store and look up uh, NPR network. And there's all sorts of stuff, sweaters, old school carpet fest shirts, coffee mugs, you name it. It's all there. And if you really are one of those diehard fans that loves the legacy that Eric and Owen have built over this last decade, and really want to sink your teeth into supporting them, you can go to Patreon and support them for either $5 a month or $10 a month. $5 is a gets a buy a cup of coffee sort of thing for the guys. And then $10 a month gets you exclusive access to once monthly, once monthly private uh, Q&A streaming video stuff going on there. And before we close out, I definitely want to give another big thanks to Alan. Again, thank you for uh, sparing me from talking to myself for a long time. I do that enough uh, in my day-to-day -day routine as it is. And my doctor said it was bad for me. So you are doing the Lord's work, <laughs> sir. Um, would you like to throw out uh, your contact information so folks can keep track of you and see what you're getting involved in? Yeah. Um, so the Instagram page is origins underscore reptile. And then also on Facebook, origins reptile. Uh, you can find me on either one of those. Uh, if you do look me up by my name, and you send out a follow or a friend. I, it's no offense to you, but I'm I'm probably not gonna, not gonna okay it. It's just I got a lot of family and other things, so I, I try to keep them separate for my own sanity. So, um, but I, you know, check me out there. Uh, also check out the Monitor Keeping podcast. We're under the NPR umbrella here. Uh, hopefully, we can get some good content out to you guys from there. Riley, thank you for this. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Actually, I, I had a, a real good time doing this. And for the people out there, this was like a phone call or a, a text message. Hey, good morning. <laughs> what you doing? Hey, I'm about to go on. Oh, I'm solo. Oh, well. Um, I need coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me make a cup of coffee. Maybe I can help out. And, uh, yeah. you know, so yep. Riley did help me move a massive cage the other week. So, you know, it, the least I can do is um, keep you My from talking to yourself. <laughs> forearms hurt for a week after that by the way <laughs> i took the management role in this riley you did a great job i saw you, you know, <laughs> supervising yeah <laughs> yeah exactly 
<laughs> all right man well thanks again it was always good uh chatting with you and i'm gonna hit you up off air let's grab a bite and play with some lizards sounds good man all righty thank you again everyone for joining in and we'll catch you all next week for some more carpets and coffee adios <laughs>